I invite you to take uh, your copy of God's Word or a copy of God's Word and turn with me once again to uh, Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. We are we're working our way through Galatians at, at a moderate pace, um, not stopping to look at every little detail, but to, to see the big message and the main points that Paul is making. And up to this point, Paul has really been focused on dealing with legalism, this idea of adding works of law to faith in Jesus as part of the, the grounds of our right standing with God. But in this passage uh, today, there's a bit of a transition because Paul is now going to deal with another issue. He's still going to address legalism, but now he's going to take up this other idea, the idea that grace gives us license to sin. And so Paul is going to speak to both of these uh, issues before we read God's word, let's, uh, let's once again bow our heart, uh, heads together in prayer and ask for his help. <clears throat> God, our Father, your word is now open before us, and we know that our hearts are open before you. You know exactly what we need. Uh, you know where we resist you. You know the hidden sins lurking secretly in our hearts. You know where we need instruction and rebuke and correction and training in righteousness. You know where we need encouragement and comfort. And so we ask that you, by the Spirit, would come and do the work that only you can do and take the living, active Word of God and apply it to our hearts exactly where we need it. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 through verse 15. Let's hear God's word. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed 
by one another. <clears throat> well, to bear with my voice today. Freedom is the theme of our passage. Uh, verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Isn't that a wonderful statement? Freedom is both the means and the end of the Christian life. Christ sets us free so that we might be free indeed. And then down in verse 13, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. But uh, maybe that raises the question, what kind of freedom are we talking about here? All kinds of different freedoms. Maybe some of you, when you hear the word freedom, you picture, you know, in your mind's eye, uh, Mel Gibson uh, starring as uh, William Wallace. Mel Gibson or William Wallace with blue paint on his face and a kilt, uh, resisting and fighting against uh, Longshanks and political tyranny, and with his last breath, I don't think this is a spoiler for anybody here, crying out, freedom! You know, maybe that's what you, you imagine. But of course, as we think about freedom this morning, we're talking about a different kind of freedom. We're, we're thinking about gospel freedom. Uh, the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Freedom from the condemnation of the law. Freedom from the curse of the law. Freedom from uh, eternal judgment. Freedom from a guilty conscience. Freedom from the doctrines and commandments of men. Freedom from our own made-up standards. And freedom from the made-up standards that men might try to apply to us, and best of all, freedom, freedom from sin, so that we might be free to live for God. So when the Bible talks about freedom, it means the freedom that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. And you remember the words of Jesus himself, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So how do we, <clears throat> how do we come to enjoy that freedom? Take a look again with me at verse 5. I think this is a key not only to this passage, but a key to everything Paul has been saying in Galatians so far. Pay close attention. Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. Hope, not in the sense of wishful thinking, but hope in the biblical sense of certainty. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And what is it that we are certain about? Righteousness, Paul says. It's a, it's a future righteousness that Paul is talking about here. But for Paul, trusting in Jesus means that we can have the certainty right now of God's righteousness, Jesus' righteousness counted as ours. So we can know on the, on the day of judgment when God renders his verdict on every person who has ever lived that the, the verdict of the, on those trusting in Jesus Christ will be not guilty, righteous. And Paul is saying that's the freedom. That's the freedom that comes in knowing and trusting Jesus Christ. Friends, when God looks upon you, believer in Jesus Christ, what does he see? He sees the blessed, beautiful, spotless, perfect righteousness of his very own son. 
and he takes delight in it, the pure righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is, it is a beautiful thing. It is a righteousness that God loves and delights in. I've shared, I think, several stories with you now about time I spent um, in the Philippines back in 2006. We spent most of our time in a little village called Sanasa, where we had the chance to share the gospel with the people there and uh, build a, a, a well so that they had running water. But the last day before we, we left to come home, uh, the group that we were with, they took us out on a boat. And um, we, were, we were out on the ocean, uh, seeing the beach, hundreds of small islands, and, uh, you know, the, the water, you can see straight down to the bottom. And we would we'd go out on the boat and occasionally stop and get out and, and snorkel. And I tell people, you know, they ask, what was it like? I tell people, watch Finding Nemo. And every fish you see in Finding Nemo, I saw in real life. It was, a, it was an incredible experience. And it was breathtakingly beautiful. I mean, I think it's probably the most beautiful thing I'll ever see in terms of landscape while I live here on earth. It's a, it's a beauty that I will never, ever forget. But dear friends, when God looks upon you as a believer in Jesus Christ, you, you are more beautiful still. <laughs> more beautiful and lovely in the eyes of, of God. More pleasing in his sight because you are covered in the righteousness of, of Jesus Christ and the same righteousness that God will recognize on the final day of judgment is even now yours by faith. And you see that makes you beautiful and acceptable in God's sight. And Paul wants you to grasp. He wants you to come to terms with the freedom that that brings into your life. The freedom of being found in Christ by the Spirit through faith. And so today with freedom as our theme, I want to say three or four things about it as we look at this passage. And the first thing is this that Paul shows us. He shows us that freedom can be compromised. Take a look again at verse 1. For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And then down in in verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You started well. You, You started uh, through the Spirit, by faith, but you've, you've begun to compromise the gospel. Now you are living as though you are going to finish and sustain this and bring it to completion by works of the flesh. It's as though the Galatians had been tripped up, Paul says. The language of verse 7 comes actually from sports. It comes from uh, running a race, not, the, not a race around an oval track like we'd be uh, familiar with today, but a, a race to, to a post and back. And as runners were making their way to the post, if there were a lot of them there, it was, it was possible for a runner to get hindered, to be hindered, to get tripped up. Uh, maybe some of you remember um, back in, I think it was the 1984 Olympics, Uh, Mary Decker Slaney, I hope I'm remembering the name correctly. If anybody remembers that race, she was, was it the 300 meter? She was favored for the gold, and during the race, she got clipped, and she was tripped, and she was hindered. She fell down, and in an instant like that, she realized that her hopes of winning the gold were gone. And Paul is saying, someone has come in and 
hindered you. You started so well. You were relying upon the Spirit, trusting in Jesus, enjoying the freedom of the gospel. But someone has come in to your midst and has imposed certain laws and rules and standards and regulations that do not belong. Things that God himself does not require of you. Now we know by now for the Judaizers it was circumcision and and everything that went along with that tagged uh, to it in the law of Moses. Days and feasts and years and food laws and so on. They said that to be a real Christian, you needed to accept circumcision and then begin living like a Jew. They said it was, necess- it, was, it was a necessary part of receiving and then maintaining salvation in order to keep up your justification. You had work to do. And in verse 1, what does Paul call that? Paul calls that a yoke of slavery. He calls it a form of bondage. The My friends, the law is like that. If you turn it into a means or a way of trying to get right and stay right with God, it can become a yoke of slavery. In fact, Peter uses that very language in Acts 15 in the Jerusalem Council when they're dealing with this very false teaching. It is a yoke of slavery. So Paul is, here's the issue. He is addressing rule-keeping and law-keeping as a means of justification and as a means of continuing justification. And Paul has made it very clear, and he repeats it here, if this is the way you want to go, then you oblige yourself to keep the whole law. Every jot and tittle of it. You can't just pick the bits and pieces that you like or the bits and pieces that are culturally acceptable at the time or the bits and pieces that you're familiar with because a little law keeping isn't good enough. You can't just you can't just give a half-hearted effort and expect that to be acceptable to God. You must obey it all and you must obey it all flawlessly because if you break one part of it you break it all Paul says. That's what he reminds us of again in verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. I actually think that's related then to what he says later down in verse 12. And there's just, I mean, there's no way of putting this delicately because it's not delicate. It's indelicate. There's no way of putting this politely because it's not polite. Paul says, I wish those who unsettle you I wish those who are teaching that, uh, you know, you need to keep the law. You need to obey the law if you want to be right with God. I wish they would just go the whole way and emasculate themselves. That's what Paul says. I wish they'd just go the whole way. And you see, with those cutting words, I think Paul is saying that if you're going to insist on law keeping, then you need to insist on it all. You need to insist on all of it, not just the things you like, not just the things you're accustomed to. Not just the things that are acceptable at the present day. You've got to do it all perfectly, all the time, perpetually. And therefore, see what Paul is saying. Trying to keep the law in order to gain righteousness, in order to, in order to gain acceptance with God. Trying to keep man-made rules and traditions. Uh, it, it's not the way of freedom, Paul is saying. In fact, it's the way of bondage. It is a yoke of slavery. And it may start with a little thing, but you see, a little bit of legalism is lethal. 
and it can spread. That's why Paul says in verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Those of you who, who bake know exactly what Paul is talking about here. It might start out with something very small, something very trivial, but it's something you insist on. You know, it might be a certain dress code, a certain way of educating your children, a certain way of speaking in order to be recognized as a mature Christian And without even realizing it, as you insist upon these things, all of a sudden you've abandoned justification by faith alone for justification plus. My friends, that that is a damnable equation. And it is not the way of grace. A little little pinch of self-righteousness, a little dash of obedience, a little hint of rule-keeping. Add that to faith in Jesus as part of the grounds of right standing with God, and you have contaminated the whole gospel. That's what Paul is saying. Just like that, the gospel can be compromised. That's why Paul uses these strong words here. You have fallen away from grace. You're abandoning the gospel that says it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Because that's your only hope, beloved. That's what Paul wants them to understand. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. And so gospel freedom can be compromised. And so Paul gives them and us this exhortation. Stand fast, therefore, in the freedom for which Christ set you free. But then secondly, freedom is compromised when you add works to faith in Jesus for justification. In case you want to take notes, I'll say that again. Freedom is compromised when you add works to faith in Jesus for your justification. Verse 2, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, if you insist upon it, if you say this is necessary in order to be in right standing with God, then Christ is of no value to you. I mean, it's it's an all or nothing statement, isn't it? Paul is saying it's Jesus alone by faith apart from works or Christ is of no advantage to you at all. Because, think about this, if you say that you need to do something extra, what are you really saying? What are you really saying? What you're really saying is, in fact, Jesus is not enough. Jesus' righteousness and Jesus' blood is not sufficient to secure my right standing and acceptance with God. Maybe I need him to get started, but the rest is up to me. My obedience, my effort, my exertion, My friends, that's trying to add your works to the work of Jesus in order to be accepted by God. That's Jesus plus a little of something else. And that's not gospel, that's slavery. Because, well, jump down to verse 11 with me here. Let's, I need to keep moving in this passage. Paul, Paul here mentions the offense of the cross. Why am I still being persecuted? Paul asks, what is the offense of the cross, dear friends? Well, I, let's try to answer that by asking another question. Why did Jesus Christ die? I mean, that's one of the most important questions you can ask. We talked about it a little bit in Sunday school. Why did Jesus Christ die? I think there are ultimately two possible answers. And the first answer is really an answer of despair. Well, Jesus, I mean, he, yes, he was faultless, sinless. But he died nonetheless. 
The answer of despair is ultimately Jesus' death is, is meaningless, just like everything else in the history of the world. Even Jesus, who lived a righteous, upright life, died a brutal, awful death on the cross. Why? I think the only answer that makes any sense is that he died because he had to die. He, he died because he, he died for our sins. He, he died to cancel the record of debt that stood against us. He died in order to save us when we were utterly helpless to do anything to save ourselves. You see, the offense of the cross is that it brings us low. And it, and it says to us loud and clear that there was nothing about us, nothing that we could ever do in and of ourselves, nothing that we can ever do in and of ourselves to commend ourselves to God. Now, the only hope we have is... The Son of God cursed and crucified on a cross. That's the offense of the cross. And so freedom is compromised if you rely upon works for justification, for, for right standing, for pardon and acceptance with God. And if you do that in Paul's language, you are severed from Christ. You're fallen from grace. And don't, don't get distracted there by discussions of whether a true believer can fall away from grace or not. No, I mean, no, they cannot. There's the answer in three words. But if you live this way, here's what Paul is saying. If you live this way where you, you make a profession of faith in Jesus and then you go on to think that the mode of operating in your life becomes that my right standing with God is based upon a mixture of Christ's work for me and my work added to Christ. Paul is saying that you might just be saying by your actions that you are not a Christian at all. And you are not living in the freedom of the gospel. You're living with a yoke of slavery around your neck. There's a third thing I want us to see here. And it really is kind of saying the same thing, but I think it's needed to, it needs to be emphasized. Here's the third thing. Freedom is compromised when obedience or disobedience becomes the measurement for justification. Hear that? Freedom is compromised when obedience or disobedience becomes the measurement for our justification. Notice what Paul says in verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Only faith working through love. You understand what, what Paul is saying there? It is a remarkable, astounding statement. He, he's saying it's not what you have done or haven't done. It's not your compliance or your lack of compliance. It's not your obedience or your disobedience that matters here when it comes to your acceptance with God. And he repeats it again in chapter 6, verse 15. Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation, Paul says. And so when it comes to pardon and acceptance with God, Paul is loud and clear here. The only thing that counts, the only thing that matters is faith in Jesus Christ. Faith working through love. Genuine faith that results when the Spirit breaks into our lives and makes us new. But you know, so many of us, I think if we 
do some heart work and heart searching, so many of us live as though something else counts. That something else actually matters to God when it comes to our justification. We make all kinds of other measures for judging whether God really accepts us. My consistency in devotions, my regular attendance to corporate worship, the number of people I share the gospel with, my compliance to certain standards that I've made up, my compliance to certain standards that other people hold me to. And don't misunderstand me, for sure those are important things that have an important role in the Christian life. They can play a role in our sense of the assurance of faith. But Paul's not talking about that here. Paul is saying it's neither uncircumcision nor circumcision. It's neither compliance nor lack of compliance that counts when it comes to your full, complete forgiveness and acceptance with God. When it comes to pardon and justification, all that counts is faith. All that counts is faith working through love. Because why? What, well, what does faith get you, dear friends? Faith gets you Jesus. Faith is the means by which we take hold of Christ and are one with him and his, his perfect account becomes ours and his sacrifice on the cross is applied to us. So faith working through love, it's the only thing that counts. You know, I'm, I'm tempted to just repeat that again and again and again until it cements within our hearts. And sometimes... We need to remind our our legalistic hearts of this truth constantly. When it comes to your being forgiven, when it comes to your being accepted by God, the only thing that counts is faith. Not your obedience or your lack thereof, but faith in Jesus Christ working through love. I think, though, that Paul then, take take a look at this passage because he does something interesting here. He, He flips it right around. He switches it up because, you know, there is this tendency in the human heart, is there not, to try to cure legalism. Legalism, which says, I need to add a little bit of my works to faith in order to really be accepted, in order to continue to be accepted by God. There is a tendency within the legalistic heart to try to cure legalism with a little bit of license, with a little bit of antinomianism. You know, somebody listening to Paul so far might say, okay, Paul, I get it, I'm free. I'm free in Christ Jesus. How I live doesn't matter because God loves me and accepts me and I'm covered in the perfect righteousness of Christ. And so when God looks upon me, he doesn't see my sinful life. He only sees the righteousness of his own son. And Paul anticipates all of that. And here's the fourth lesson. Freedom is compromised when we think Christ sets us free to live in sin. Freedom is compromised when we think Christ sets us free to live in a life of sin. Verse 13, Paul says, We were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You see, he's dealing with this this other mistake. He's been dealing with legalism, which wants to add works to faith in Jesus as part of the grounds of our acceptance with God. But now he's dealing with another mistake that says, well, well, you know, if faith is all that matters because Jesus is my righteousness, then I I can live as I please. 
I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want, anytime, because I'm free. You see what Paul is saying? Paul's saying, no, 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 beloved. That's not how the gospel works. That's not how the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ works. Um, reading a, a book for a class this week, and it's uh, co-authored by uh, Joel Beakey and Mark Jones, and I don't know, just judging by the story, I'm guessing it's Joel Beakey, but he tells the story of um, an Englishman who came over to America in the 1850s, and he headed out west to California for a, a gold rush. He wanted to get rich, and uh, he did. He did get rich. Uh, he struck gold, and on his way back to uh, back to England, he he stopped in in New Orleans, where there was an infamous uh, slave trading block, and he wanted to see it for himself. So when he arrived um, at this slave trading block, there was uh, there was this beautiful young African woman being auctioned. And uh, he stood beside two men who were trying to outbid one another. And in between bidding, they were bragging about what they were going to do to this poor young woman when they took her home. And uh, this newly rich man decided he wasn't going to have it. And so he doubled the bid and uh, bid beyond the means of these two men. And the auctioneer, he was, he was shocked. He said, no one, no one has ever paid that much for a slave. He made his way up to the block to help this young lady down, reached out his hand, and she spat in his face. Um, He calmly went on and led her to another building in town, and there she watched as as he signed paperwork. And he came over to her, not understanding what was going on, and he He handed the papers to her and said, you're free. She spat in his face again (laughs) in disbelief. And he said, don't you understand? I've signed the paperwork. You are free to go. And she stood there with tears welling up in her eyes at that point in disbelief and said, "Is is it really true that you paid more than anyone has ever paid for a slave before. And he he calmly said, yes, that's true. And at that moment, she she fell down at his feet and said, I have one request, sir. Can I serve you the rest of my life? You see, my friends, that's how the gospel actually works. When you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you understand everything that he has done to purchase your freedom. When you understand what lengths he went to in order to set you free, the last thing you want to do is to sin against him. And the thing that you want to do more than anything else is bow down at his feet and say, Master, how can I serve you? But you know, there's actually another reason that The gospel does not mean Christ sets us free to live in sin. And Paul has already talked about it in Galatians. And the reality of the gospel, dear friends, is this. That in Christ Jesus, you are not the person you once were. Your relationship to sin has fundamentally changed. 
What does Paul say? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Remember what Paul says elsewhere. You've died to sin. In Christ Jesus, this is the reality that now defines your existence. The reign of sin has been broken and you have been raised to new life in Christ. So why would you go on living in sin? It's not who you are anymore, the gospel reminds us. You know, it's interesting though what Paul says at the end of this passage has become, I need to wrap up here in, in, uh, in verse 15. Maybe at first it doesn't seem to fit. Where does, this, where does this come from? But think about this with me. Galatians are uh, consuming one another, biting and devouring one another. Think about it this way. If you're trying to justify yourself by your own obedience, how are you going to measure the quality of your performance? How, how or you know, what, what rule will you use to, to measure that you're living up to the standards that you've set for yourself? Well, here's the way you do it. The measurement is that you outperform everybody else. And, and the measurement is that you, you, you establish yourself in this way. You criticize everyone who does not obey where you obey. That's the kind of thing legalism creates in a church. And that's why Paul says what he says then in verse 15. The Galatians are biting and devouring one another in their efforts to justify themselves by keeping these imposed man-made rules given by the Judaizers. And they're putting each other down. They're creating these dividing markers within the church of Jesus Christ. The dividing markers that Christ tore down. And you see, that's what legalism creates. This is the culture of legalism in a church. Where self-righteousness takes over. People begin to destroy one another. So my friends, how then shall we live? Let's just wrap up with that question. How then shall we live? Well... Very simply, let's live like Jesus, whom we trust and follow. You know, we've just come out of the month of December, and throughout December we thought about the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. What, what is, what is the, what's at the heart? What's the principle that's at the very heart of the incarnation? He who is in the form of God did not count equality with God something to be grasped but he emptied himself and came as a slave he, he didn't insist on his own native freedom and divine prerogatives he made himself nothing for us he who had everything made himself nothing in love in order to serve us and to save us I think that's what Paul is saying to us here. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In other ways, reflect the kind of love that you have received in Jesus Christ. Because when you realize that there is nothing you can do to earn acceptance with God, that there is no uh, uh, obedience that you need to offer in order to gain pardon and acceptance with God, You see, that sets you free. It sets you free from the rules of men. It sets you free from yourself, frankly. It sets you free in the best way imaginable, free to serve God 
And one of the ways we do that is by, in love, serving one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so may God, in in his mercy, enable us to do just that, to be be the people who, who know the freedom of the gospel and in response to that, in love, serve one another. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that it would transform our lives. We are prone to legalism on the one hand and lawlessness on the other. We pray instead that you would lead us straight to Jesus Christ and that he would rule and reign in our lives and that our lives would be shaped by him. We want to serve him and to live for him. So fill us with your spirit and cause us to continue to run this race well. Keep us from stumbling. Keep us on the pathway of grace, all for your name's sake. Amen.